Hi and welcome to Arrow Power. This week we're at the Arrow Technology Summit. This is Arrow's annual partner forum held in Denver. Over the next few weeks we're going to be presenting you all the power debate sessions that occurred at ATS. You're going to hear from our practice leaders talking about security, IoT, data intelligence, cloud and next generation platforms. We hope you enjoy this Arrow Bowers production and please subscribe. Good afternoon, everybody. Right, I can see some yawns and some, some food comas setting in. Now, I have to apologize, I don't have any Top Gun clips. Um, I think if I had, I'd probably have slightly more people in the room. But I am going to start with an interactive survey to try and break those food comas up. So, can everyone that's in the room stand up? Everyone stand up. That includes everyone over there. Stand up, stand up, stand up, stand up, stand up, stand up. Do we, sir? No, they can sit down because... You just, just called me out. Okay, yeah, we'll stand up, we'll stand up. All right, so, stay standing up. If you consider data to be one of the most valuable or the most valuable commodity in your end customers today. If you sit down, then you probably should go else. <laughs> right. Now, stay standing up, though. If you've ever actually gone and proactively asked your customer, what is their enterprise data strategy? All of you? Fantastic. Then this is going to be a very good talk. You're in the right place. Good. Well, normally, you can all sit down now, by the way. Thank you very much. Um, so more often than not, lots of people sit down. And there was quite a bit of sitting down in that one as well, so I'm going to sort of take that as a successful start to my speech, despite the fact it probably wasn't. Um, but the reason that a lot of people don't ask the question, or if they do ask the question, they don't follow up correctly or they don't make it work is because analytics is really difficult. Data intelligence is really difficult. Gleaning value and insight from data to drive business decisions, to drive business change is really difficult. But at Arrow, obviously, our job is to try and help you guys to do more and go and sort of have these conversations and feel safe and secure in the conversations you're having. So, we came up with a way of breaking data intelligence opportunities down into manageable chunks. We call it, and it's the name of this presentation, the ingest, transform, store, and explore strategy. So to make it very, very simple, and it's going to be the framework of our conversation, ingest is all about how you get the data in. What type of data do you want to use to be able to gather and glean the best possible results? Transform is all about what you do to the data to transform it from raw data into information. How do you combine it? How do you correlate it? How do you apply the algorithms to really drive that competitive advantage out of your data? Store is all about how do you actually have it at rest? How do you apply governance, legislation? How do you make sure that it's not at risk? And how do you make sure that it's available to the vast quantity of end users that need it? And explore is all about how you explore the data, visualization, representation as APIs, and how you actually get the value out or extract the value from all the hard work from the previous three steps to actually deliver that genuine result to the widest possible uh, cohort of your organization. So to talk with me today about those four steps, I have Paul from IBM. And Sean from H HDS, oh, not HDS, sorry, Hitachi. 
Um, if you'd like to introduce yourselves, chaps. Yeah, I'm Paul Zakopoulos. Uh, I think I know some of the Aero folks after all these years, but uh, I run the cognitive systems business, and I've been in the big data analytics game for probably 23 years. So my whole entire life's work has been data, and it's become enormously cool in the last two years. I'd say that's it. Up until then, it was geeky, but from now on, it's it's pretty hot topic right now. Absolutely. Right, and I'm Sean Rosemary, and I'm the SVP and CTO for Hitachi Vantara. And uh, ultimately, I look after all of technical sales around the world. Uh, but I'm also uh, at the cusp of the build-out of our vertical businesses, the businesses that are really taking the concepts of IT, merging them with OT, operational technology, and actually building out this next generation of solutions where data solves problems in specific industries, financial services, healthcare, energy, manufacturing, um, and beyond, obviously industrial as well. So with that said, um, you know, really exciting time to be here and thank you all for, for making the time to listen to us. So David, back to you. Fantastic. So chaps, let's start at the top in ingestion. So obviously the start of any analytical system is understanding the types of data you need. Um, and then obviously the, the types of data are directly linked to the outcome. What trends are you guys seeing in ingestion? What, what sort of, what's differed over the last few years in, in how people are going about actually sourcing and, and feeling a bit more sort of able to go and get slightly more obscure data sources to, to really answer the questions better? Yeah, sure. I mean, let me give you guys a bit of an analogy to start the conversation, which says many of our clients don't think about how they're gonna ingest it. It's not a very exciting topic for many of them. They actually think about how can I get more data? And the analogy I would give you is if you think of your eavesdrop system or your rain collection system at home, the way water drains from your house, if you don't actually have it working properly, adding more water is gonna cause you major issues. It's actually gonna flood your basement. And I would say many of our clients today, because they've never dealt with this discussion, they're really enamored by the potential of IoT. They're very enamored by the idea that all these machines uh, or actuators or sensors are going to be able to do all this great value. But at the end of the day, actually adding more data to their environment today will crush them. So to your point on ingestion, the first thing we have to do is just think about where is all this data growth coming from? And ultimately, we've always thought about structured or database. We've done a really good job, right? IBM's done a great job of helping clients to collect and manage that data. But that's not where all the growth is. It's not SAP, it's not Oracle. Most of the growth is coming in unstructured data, productivity, photos, videos, and the rest of that growth is coming from streaming data, whether it's coming from social and the internet or it's coming from machines. The process of ingesting that data is significantly different because we're talking about variety and, and, and velocity that we've never seen before, but most importantly, none of that data comes with metadata intact. I have a photo, and if you're like me, I have, what, 13,000 photos at home? I have no idea what's in any of them. If I start to think about all the photographs, electronic communications, start to think about all the videos you've collected in surveillance, start to think about how do I meta tag it so that when I ingest it, I can effectively search it. And so to your ingest point, I'll, I'll kind of kick the ball over to Paul, but I do think we have to think about how do I surround that, that data that I'm ingesting with enough metadata so it's actually useful for me down the road. Yeah, I mean, that's a, that's a great point. Listen, the ingestion part's the easy part. It's dead easy. Um, we're ingesting more and more data. You talked about, what is it? They always say 80% of the world's data is unstructured. 
Um, and so those are bringing new kind of, of things uh, into the decision-making process. But before you can get them decisioning, they have to land somewhere, right? And they land ungoverned, and that's probably going to be the next phase we're going to talk about. I, I, if I was to give everybody in this room a, a grade on uh, data collection, ingestion, I'd give you an A+. If you're not an A+, in that, it's because you don't want to be. It's too easy to get data today. It's absolutely dead simple. Which means that your data acquisition curve is about sloped like that. What you need to ask yourself for all the stages that we're going to get into next, which is, so you get A plus on that, what's your score on data understanding? It's probably like this. Mm. And you think about your personal lives when you work on your laptops and uh, you're typing in a, uh, something in Microsoft Word or an Outlook and you spell something wrong and it's a squiggly line. That's 24 by 7 decisioning. But well, we suck at 24 by 7 decisioning. Every person in this room, your clients are not doing a good job at 24 by 7 decisioning. Few people can do that. You get a C minus. <clears throat> and so what happens when you get an A plus on data collection and your decisioning curve is like this? This gets bigger and bigger. And being polite, I'd say this is the opportunity cost of not knowing. Being serious, I'd say for your clients, they're getting dumber and dumber about their business. Absolutely dumber and dumber about their business as time goes on. So if they're not leading at the front with an analytics strategy, which goes all the way back to the moment that data lands on how to tag it and then move it through the different processes we'll talk about, you're going to get stuck. And that's the advantage. So. Yeah. And obviously into that, you know, once, as you start to gain more data, as you start to tag it, then you have to make sure that you are collecting it and you are applying governance and legislation as it comes in. And I think this is one of the places where I've seen a lot of end customers fall down is that they go through the first two stages and they don't really think about how the, you know, the governance and the sort of audit trail of the data until it's at rest. Whereas actually, you need to think about how you apply corporate governance and how you apply auditability and all those sorts of things right at the start. Yeah. So, you know, it's, uh, I always have this argument with my daughter because the room's never clean. She's 13. <laughs> and I always tell her, like, you have to be in your room to clean your room, right? And you think about this messy room and how could you find anything in there? I mean, that's what data governance is really like. And so you have to think about how do I attach lineage? So when I ask Chloe to clean a room, she does what I call the least effort to comply, right? <laughs> I think it's put it right and it's, it's good enough, right? That's the way everyone's approaching governance. It's like, I don't want to get, now with GDPR, I don't want to get fined or all oh, the CISO says I have to do this. It's like uh, some mandatory training I get at IBM. They give me some corporate training on business kind of guidelines yep. on not to lie in a kind and like you go through this it's just like yes 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 there is a big big opportunity to move your clients and challenge them to get them to think about how data governance accelerates the path to ai it absolutely does because at the end of the day when you come to the end and there's an algorithm you're going to want what we call explainability that is the next big wave to hit ai where did this data come from? What was its lineage, its provenance? What did we do to this data? How was it tagged? All those are good for analytic purposes. They're also good for compliance purposes and GDPR things that we'll see come into North America as we see more and more bad actors uh, in taking advantage of your data. But even if it wasn't for that, that is the most misunderstood leg up that your clients can get on their data. And that is to have a governance strategy up front, not after the fact. Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, I'll bridge to Paul's point Look, at the end of the day, uh, we tend to think about governance as a data center, because that's where the majority of the data lied. Now, let's just quick, very quickly run through history. We went from a single data center to multi-data center when we started dealing co-location, then we went to public cloud, we're there today. 
We're moving to multi-cloud and then we'll move to the edge. We'll essentially have mini clouds, which will be our edge devices, and we'll be running applications and data through there. If I don't get my house in order in my data center in terms of how am I governing the data that's there, how am I making sure that as soon as that data is written and matches particular qualifications or um, you know, particular elements of its PII data or its social security data, as soon as it's written, I automate the action to encrypt, to move, to delete, to protect. If I get that intact in my data center, then I can take that strategy that's working for me, I can extend it to my public cloud players. Take the same governance strategy, extend it out. Well, hey, that's actually really useful because now I don't have to go inherit Amazon strategy, Google strategy, Azure strategy, try to figure out how to make all this work. And then as I extend to the edge, I now have a scalable strategy that takes me out there. But that's the beauty of where we're headed is if you get your room clean, <laughs> now you're in a position to say, great, now I'm ready to extend that data strategy outwards. But if instead everything is shadow IT and each individual line of business is building their application with their governance strategy and their compliance strategy, I can tell you down the road, there will be no way for you to prove compliance across the business and you will be lost. And you talked about the hybridity of, of data analytics and gravity of analytics, and you'll see that into on-premise and cloud. I think that the other opportunity it gives you is not just to accelerate your analytics, but to remove fear, right? Um, it's probably one of the smarter things you can do to understand some clients are held back because they have data behind their firewall. They could take advantage of public cloud for certain aspects of that data, and they can't because they don't understand it. And they don't want to, they, they're stuck in fear. So understanding where the data goes, all of a sudden you have a placement strategy. This data sits behind the firewall. This we can put in public cloud. We can execute APIs from Azure or IBM or, or whomever to go and analyze that data because we're comfortable. You can't do that if you're not sure what you're dealing with. Okay. That's Absolutely. the number one miss that I see with clients on an analytics journey. Okay. And, and the, the perfect example is Hadoop. Like, I look at all the Hadoop projects that I've seen around the banks, and you go ask line of business how much value they're getting at it, it's next to nil, because they didn't do it with a data strategy, a data governance strategy. And at the end of the day, big data without analytics is it's just a bunch of data. Yeah, especially in Hadoop, that was a, a big afterthought was, uh, was data governance, which is a yeah. real shame. So moving into Transform then, IDC predicts that 70% of all the Fortune 500 will start to implement AI of some shape or form mm -hmm. in the next 12 months. Um, what are some of the big things that, that enterprises should be looking for, not just the Fortune 500, but anyone looking to implement sort of AI, machine learning, deep learning? What are some of the lessons and, and the things you've seen, the, the pros, the cons, the sort of the lessons you've learned? Yeah, it's, I, let me take one baby step back and then yep, I'm gonna get to do. your question. So the appeal of artificial intelligence, right, or intelligent automation, it, it's huge. And there are specific cases today where there is enough data for us to essentially build that AI today. But at the end of the day, let's be really, really clear that artificial intelligence, machine, machine learning, robotics, there's really two components. You've got the brain that has to learn, and you're even seeing analogies today of the brain is at a kindergarten level, it's at an elementary school level, it's at a high school level, as it learns, as it gets trained. And then you have the automation aspect that says once the brain says to go do something, it needs a body to actually go do it, a digital body in this case. That's what gets us to AI and machine learning. But here's what I'd have you think about. Today, when something happens, a human takes an action. Whether it's a risk issue, a compliance issue, whether it's a positive revenue opportunity, a human does something. And the reality is, um, I, the biggest kind of gap there is, I need to capture what has occurred. 
I need to now know that every time this happens, I take this action. At some point, the human population gets comfortable saying, hey, 99% of the time that that happened, you take this action. Let's actually train the system to go do that automatically. That will be a gap for some of us that have been doing this on a manual basis for a very long time. And then over time, the system will start to actually take all of those learnings and be able to create simulations for things that have never happened. Actually teach itself what you saw with the Go uh, when they went and beat the Go game, the fact that it could play billions of games of Go in a week. Right? Being able to simulate things at a rate that humans never could. But today the onus is on us to really sort of think about what is it that happens and how do we react? And how do we capture our action against a particular event? Programmatize it so that it becomes a base library on which to learn. And then we open up the possibility to take that base and really extend it out into the future. Yeah, I think um, when I hear about AI, first, half the people say that they're doing AI or not doing AI. No. I mean, even your Apple phone in Siri, it's not AI. It's not learning. It's not detecting patterns on, on what I do or anything like that. Um, so you sure about that? What, yeah, <laughs> at least for now. But, um, but I think the first thing is nowhere to start. <clears throat> you don't have to step up into your AI baseball game and hit a home run. And that's what people try to do all the time. Go and get on first base. Just get started. Take the data you have. I'll talk about that in my session. Actually, I think that follows here, that lift yep. shift, rift or cliff session. Um, but get started there. Here's the bottom line. If a human could do it with the data they have and it would just take them a long time to get it done, it's not whether it's observe a, a pattern or you know, whether it's an uh, adjuster for an insurance company looking at a claim to see if it's over 1000 bucks or not on front end right bumper damage, then a computer can do really, really well at it and you can train it to do well. That's the place to start, folks. And if a human can't, doesn't have the data to solve the problem, a computer won't be able to solve the problem without the data. So that problem domain exists in every one of your clients today. They all have tons of, some of it, that data is probably not even digitized. That's the place to start with AI okay. and then go down either a pattern recognition or a computer vision uh, side. So, so David, let me expand on the blend because I think it's really, really crucial. Please do. We talked about the data estate. We talked about structured, unstructured, streaming. Let me give you a real scenario. Let's just take an industrial use case just to sort of prove a point. When I buy the train, I put the record of the train in Oracle. I actually do all the maintenance in some sort of relational database context. Now I've got sensors on the train that are actually looking at the temperature, the pressure, the vibration, the bearing, uh, life, and all that's happening in streaming. I've also got a whole bunch of video footage that's happening. It's actually capturing the train as it go down the track. Is it actually following a linear progression? I've got pictures as the train comes into the station of the key components that I'm reading. I can tell you today that the process of blending that data, integrating it, to actually know that that sensor is on that train that is that Oracle record that had that piece of maintenance done, that is where most big data projects are getting hung up today is the amount of manual effort to go and script this application, this data source to talk to that data source. I can tell you at Hitachi, the reality is, the real complexity of the problem is it's not just a platform play. If you don't understand the train business, you don't have the intelligence to understand how those systems interoperate. Mm -hmm. So the real beauty when we talk about blend is, there's another blend to keep in mind, which is all this great IT stuff that we spend the time thinking about but over here's the OT stuff. I know a lot of you are very specialist experts in particular industries. Your generation is here and it's now. 
Because I can tell you, if you don't understand the operational technology and how those businesses run, you cannot connect the data. Yeah, that comes down to a point that I've seen time and time and time again that says the quality of the data and the quality of the subject matter expert that's actually working with the data is more important than the data scientist to tune the model and then refine the model. You get a much better percentage increase in accuracy by having a more accurate domain expert building the model rather than someone purely mathematically tuning the model. Well, that's the biggest problem we have right now is that uh, data science and stuff is held for the privileged few and it needs to be democratized for the many. And you've got 80% uh, of a data scientist's time is spent on integrating the data and data wrangling, connecting the dots that, uh, that you had just talked about and line of business is left on the, uh, the outskirts. Data science is a team sport. That's what I'll tell you. And so one of the most successful strategies you can drive is to make it that and to bring in line of business, not just to drive the use case, but to be active participants. For example, in labeling the data, everything you just talked about on a railway, and, and you could add, that was the unstructured data, right? You could even add, what, look at BNSF Railway. How do they spot a cracked wheel? They listen to it. So it's actually mixing acoustics and video, what was the weather and all that kind of stuff together. Grabbing train engineers that can start to label things. Here's a wheel that we found a crack. They label it. They know the domain expertise. That is what will separate <coughs> AI projects that go on this trajectory versus the one that go on that trajectory, yeah. for sure. Yeah, think about I'll give you guys another really interesting example. I mean, one of the things I always try to do when I talk about this stuff is it's great to show business benefit, but can you show benefit to society as a whole? Think about oil platforms. We need them because we're still very much in this case and age, we're dependent on oil, oil's harder to get to, most of it's very deep and you have to have offshore platforms. The problem is when an offshore oil platform catches on fire, it's a big problem. We refer to critical projects as a burning platform, but these are really burning platforms. <laughs> and the reality is there's no effective way to get people off of these uh, oil platforms when they catch on fire. So when you start to think about it, the reality is, wow, this is a really interesting problem. I can use video, I can use streaming analytics, I can use the data I have on the rig, I can use streaming data from weather. I can actually start to connect this and blend this. I can predict that there is a high likelihood of an event and buy myself time. But once again, I need to understand the OT aspects of the oil business. What systems do I have to shut down? How do I actually enable, like what kind of metrics am I looking at that I can even get seismically within the oceans, within the foundations? How do I connect that to things that have to happen so that not only do I get my people saved, but I don't have a major environmental event? This is the age of operational technology expertise. And if you are a specialist in your business, my advice to you is maintain your specialty yeah. because you will be differentiated on the basis of your OT knowledge um, in addition to your ability to leverage common platforms and IT to deliver out the, the end outcome. Yeah, I must admit, if I... If I had to go and uh, start a company tomorrow, I would absolutely go and grab domain experts in spaces and build essentially training data and then monetize it. Because I think that's going to be a real industry going forward will be this data brokerage of just experts that have no idea about machine learning, no idea about AI, but everything about a specific domain are able to tag and, and identify data so that you can have a super accurate amount of information. So it brings me on to another topic around, around data, which is synthetic data. So obviously we've spoken a lot about how you'd create and, and sort of, but what are your feelings on, on, the, on synthetic data? It's one of these topics that come, that's come up quite a few times recently in certain conferences I've been at. People rave about it, people hate it. It seems to be a very sort of polarizing conversation. 
Do we have any uh, any opinions? On I don't that? know what it is. It's a synthetic data. <laughs> so I don't. Does anyone know? Cool. What it's, it's data, data that's synthetic. Exactly. It's, it, <laughs> so basically, you would take a really really small set of accurate data, and then you'd use another AI, a sort of an adversarial neural network, to generate a whole bunch of fake data to the point where you've actually got enough data to then train a proper neural network. Don't worry, we'll park that one for now. So no, no, you know what? Well, here I'll tell you this. So you can. So a generative adversarial network is when you take, so the, what he's talking about is how do I fool AI, right? And yeah. so how do we figure how people will crack our AI codes? As more and more of our world gets driven by AI, uh, you have to make them defensible, right? So security takes a whole new aspect. It yep. wasn't probably the angle that we were going to go down, but that's another thing you guys should start to think about. Like I could take a picture of a stop sign that an autonomous vehicle to recognize as a stop sign and stop and change a couple of pixels on that stop sign and it would no longer recognize it as a stop sign. Think about counterfeit, uh, counterfeit money, counterfeit buttons on a Louis Vuitton purse. These are all use cases for what you're talking about. Yeah. And so there, and when you're, I guess, synthetic is, and it's funny, I've never heard the term, and, oh. and I'm in that hey, business, maybe it's, but. Maybe it's a European thing. No, yeah, but uh, <laughs> where you have your AI and it's training off this, and then now you create another AI agent that trains against it. It's like good cop, bad cop, and they yeah. go back at each other. And uh, I didn't bring it with me, or I would have shown it in my session, but where they start to, I take a piece of a dollar bill from the U.S. and a piece of one dollar bill with a guy from Mad Magazine on it, Alfred E. Newman, <laughs> and they fight against each other to start making a real dollar bill, and they start to learn. Yeah. That's it, and that's really about the defensibility of the algorithm you put out there. That would be yeah. a, a key topic. But Yeah, it's, it's interesting, right? I mean, you think about good cop, bad cop, almost like to your Mad Magazine, spy versus spy, right? The white spy and the black spy. Maybe I'm aging myself. But at the end of the day, um, if you think about where this all goes, right, it, it is going to be your ability to learn. And if you think about blockchain, same idea, right? I mean, the, the, the block that is actually deemed to be the, uh, you know, correct in the chain is the one that is actually in existence across the highest number of mining chains. So now you say, okay, well, to counterfeit and beat the system, I have to actually have more people writing the invalid block than the actual, all of the miners worldwide. It's a fundamental construct of blockchain. But AI is the same concept. It's, it's we need to make sure that whatever conclusion we've built is defensible. No different than if I have a bad teacher train a human, the human's gonna do the thing wrong. And I don't know, to your synthetic data point, I, I do think there's a coming or looming aspect of says, you know, who's gonna certify a data set before it is actually approved for consumption by an AI machine? And that will be a very interesting uh, era for us is who actually validates that this data is correct and ethical and uh, has integrity and can actually be used in these models. I don't think we're there yet. And I think a takeaway from that is just the, the dynamics or the scope of security that you'll consult your clients on is going to change. One from an ethics and the behavior of the algorithm, which is explainability from governance, and the other is from hackers. There will be new types of hacking, right? Like how we hack websites today with a SQL injection. This will be different. You'll hack it by manipulating pictures that the algorithm is seeing yep. and classifying. So I think that's the best part that comes out of there is to understand there are these new threat vectors that, that come. It's all double-edged sword, right? Yeah, and I think we're already starting to see viruses that are yeah. built and learn and, and can fool and genuinely sort of get past systems by acting like the users that they're sort of mirroring. Um, brilliant. Thanks, guys. Really appreciate that. That was good. I must admit, one of the, uh, one of the nice things about this particular talk is um, you'll never find a more philosophical and sort of ethical discussion in a technology summit, I don't think, ever. <laughs> um, that's the fun of AI.
Thank you for listening to Alabama. We really hope you enjoyed it. And if you did, please subscribe and please check out our other fantastic podcasts in the Bowers Network. See you again next week.